Imagine a soldier the size of an insect. The ultimate secret weapon. If you give godlike powers to everyone, it's going to be chaos. So how do we stop him? By knowing I. Scott, I've been watching you for a while. You're different. And I believe everyone deserves a shot at redemption. Do you? Absolutely. My days of breaking into places and stealing stuff are over. What do you want me to do? I want you to break into a place and steal some stuff. Makes sense. Are you ready to become the hero? Now, this suit has power. You have to learn how to control it. And these are your greatest allies. You're kind of cute. Whoa. When you're small, you have superhuman strength. You like a bullet. So you need to know how to punch. You want to show me how to punch? Show me how to punch. That's how you punch. You tried to hide your suit from me. Now, it's gonna blow up in your face and destroy everyone you care about. Scott, get out of there! Did you think you could stop the future? You're just a thief! No. A man-man. I know. Wasn't my idea. Right, pig face. <laughs> yeah, Tim gets to see the pig face now. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize it was so big. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hideous. <laughs> it's a quality pig face. Yeah, f- that pig face. Just, he's he's cute. No, it's he's not. Knows. He's not. <laughs> you got to look at it closely. It's weird. It's got human eyes. It's got Paul's ears. Well, maybe not Paul's ears. It's got hair on its head. Oh, God. It's got hair on its head. That throws you off. No, it looks like if a pig made it with Danny DeVito. Back to the bin. What's up? <laughs> oh, this is too big a crowd. I don't know if I could do this. <laughs> you guys just record and send me the raw footage. Uh-oh. Alvin's in the house. I don't what have Alvin? an avatar, do I? Or is my avatar just my picture? It's your face. Yeah, that's uh, boring. Come on. What is, what is the face, the picture? We need some type of theme here. I'll damn well show what I'm good and ready to show. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Everyone having a nice evening? Yeah, not so far. I was until you posted my Hulk letter again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I 
hadn't seen it before, so I went looking for it, and uh, I was surprised. I, I found it in the first try. I, I, I thought it was, you know, like Hulk 200 or something like that. And whoop, first first try, I found it. And because uh, I remember you'd said the small Paul Spataco thing, maybe <laughs> hungry for Taco Bell. <laughs> but I just love that little bit at the bottom, you know, letter letter page answering armadillo. That's, actually, what made, that's what made it special. <laughs> it made me think of the holiday armadillo they had on Friends. <laughs> the, the Hanukkah armadillo. Yeah. Well, they, do you do you have armadillos in New York? Not that I am aware of. I didn't think oh, so. We have them down here. Yeah, yep. we got oh, we have plenty. I get them in my backyard, and the dog barks at them. Are they nasty? Or... No. Well, they're they're, they're delicious. As a possum on the half shell. Yeah, because well, possums can be nasty. Possums on the half shell. Possum power. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Did you I ever tell you the story about uh, about the possum that was in the backyard that I had to fend away, that I had to fight off, get away from the dog? I did. Yeah, I, I heard that story. Yeah, that I chucked a rock at it and it bounced off his head and he dropped down. I'm like, wait a minute, is he actually playing possum? <laughs> <laughs> and then I poked him with a stick and he got up. <laughs> I'm like holy, f- he was playing possum. He was playing possum. <laughs> he was playing. You're playing like you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. That was that was great casting. <laughs> but I love the cookie. <laughs> yeah, we, we we have uh, you know we have some possums here. Not not an overwhelming number, thankfully, because they are nasty, and probably a few too many raccoons. Oh my! Little oh my. little bandits. <laughs> The little masks. We get a lot of rabbits around here. We're coming kind of a wooded area. I sit and I look at them and I'm just waiting for somebody to shoot me in the back of the head. <laughs> <laughs> not in the backyard, are they? You know, not in, not in. I've never seen them on, by my house. You don't have any friends named George, do you? Tell me Tell about, me the, about the rabbits, George. I know he's got that dumpster down the street that says Costanza on it. <laughs> Can't stand you. Oh, lovely. Thank you, Alvin. He just took a dump. Great. That's what I needed. <laughs> is there a litter box? Yes, there's a litter box. Well, then what is he supposed to do? You're sitting uh, in his bathroom. Sitting in Alvin's room. You're in his yes. bedroom. <laughs> yeah, this is Alvin's house, after all. Well, if the litter box is in there, that's his bathroom. Yeah. I think I think we should do that uh, that one Alvin 12 buddy cop show with you and Alvin. <laughs> one <laughs> because I started to watch it on Netflix, and I'm like, one, one Adam twelve, one Alvin twelve. Yeah. Oh, is that on Netflix? Really? Oh yeah. I I watched the first two episodes. Cloris Leachman was in the second episode. I'm watching this woman going, man, I know this woman. It's for a Is yeah, but she looked hot, and she had two kids that got <laughs> wait, into wait, the wait, trip. wait, wait, wait. She looked hot. Yes, that's what threw me. I, I got to go. That's what I couldn't. I couldn't figure out. No, I'm telling you, if you if you have Netflix, go watch the second episode. She does not look like Cloris she Leachman may not usually have looks as bad as she did on, say, the Mary Tyler Moore show. But right. hot, I think not. Yeah. She was like a she. She was a druggy mom, and she was away, and her kids like got into her drug stash. I don't know, the yeah, kids that were all knocked sick. out. <laughs> but she had like who a wouldn't shrug- be turned on by that? 
a short little mini dress and and you know she came in and she's like oh the kids are just sleeping they oh they got the epilepsy that's why they're doing the epilepsy <laughs> that's what she said that was what i was watching the episode going but i'm just watching going who is this woman who is? and then when the credits rolled my wife goes that's cloris leachman i'm like what no way unbelievable well, she, she's no terry gar in uh, assignment earth no, no, not at all. Yeah. No, she's not. She's not Terry Garhot, but for Cloris Leachman, she was hot. And the movie they were in together, quick. Oh, young, young, young yeah. Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. She blew. She blew him away. She Terry Gar blew her away. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of uh, Miami Vice, a show I've never watched before, but it's on oh, Netflix, so I've been I watching that. that. I remember watching that when it was when it was on TV. Scott can be the whipping boy this episode. No. <laughs> That's to be TBD. Can you <laughs> no. can you guys can you guys hear me okay? You sound yeah, Mike? You're, you're talking into a tin can a little. You sound yeah. a little bit closer than you were before. All right, let me make an adjustment here. I'm just trying to make it so all my plosives aren't exploding on you. I remember Scott was saying that my P's and B's were were exploding. <laughs> no, you I just get yourself one of those little screens. Popping your P's, that's all. Yeah, it's a it's a common thing in in podcast. Well, in radio, really. Yeah. Do you have a mic? Yeah, well, I've I've got a a, a work headphone that I'm actually using oh, okay. that I use for conference calls and such, and it's got a, a mic on it. And so I've just pulled the the microphone away from my face a little bit so that uh, I wouldn't do that because the last time with Tim, I just had it right there up by my mouth. Oh yeah, you yeah, don't want that because good now. yeah, because Scott will Scott will get on you about who's the breather on the call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that was me because I had the headphone and I had it right underneath my mouth and I'm, and and I'm breathing. Bill, stop breathing. Yeah, well, for my recording, I could hear yeah, I could hear the breathing like that and I could hear every squeak of my chair, everything that was going on around me. And I was like, you know, really worried thinking that we we're going to have to re-record this. And then Tim's like, no, you sound great. He goes, I came off real quiet, but you sounded Man, great. I, I've tried to fix mine because I now have a, I bought a, a a boom for my mic and I have a pop filter on it. So I'm hopefully I'm coming a little better now. Oh, you sound great. From you you don't sound anything like stun. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't be in character all the time. What was that? Hey everybody. Stun here. here. <laughs> stun oh. again. <laughs> that was my only thing I can remember that. It's what Kermit did. Doesn't he always come on and say, Hey Kermit, you know, Hi-ho, Kermit, Kermit the frog. Hey, yeah. Kermit the frog here. Stand by for a Muppet News Flash. I thought that came out really well. I wish I I wish I had just videoed it, videotaped it. I mean, <laughs> got my camera out because we could have had some great video of that. No, that was that was quite enjoyable. I had me doubled over and laughing, and I was actually trying to do some work, so it was making it difficult. <laughs> well, that was your first mistake. But I really enjoyed that. Ah, pesky cat. What do you want? You want out? He's picking at the door. Meow, let me out. Come on, open the door. I'll rip out your goddamn throat. Bro, you're spying. Uh-oh, he's coming over here. What do you want? That's it. You never <clears throat> talk when I want you to. But you told me to. All right, you can stay in here. I still think Alvin is the snapper car to your Justice League garage, Bill. <laughs> My nemesis. The, the day will come when, snap, when, when Alvin will betray Bill. <laughs> I think he already did because he, he either him or the dog dropped a deuce in the bedroom <laughs> while my wife was away, and I found it. I I, I picked up a comforter. I'm like, man. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> right was inside the comforter. I'm like, what? What the hell? And I was like, is this a cat turd or is this a dog turd? It's we call the comfort zone. 
you know, that's what I get for letting them sleep in there. You know, I I hop on the bed. They all come in there and sleep. The wife never lets the dog sleep on the bed. So, you know, one of them drops a deuce in there. And then and then I don't say anything to her. And then a few days later, she's like, you know, it smells like cat piss over here. I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> that was real life with Dr. Bill Robinson. <laughs> Well, I know this is this is pretty early in uh, Michelinie and Layton's uh, partnership, isn't it? Yeah, very early. Well, I think this is early in both of their careers. Yeah, because they yeah because they didn't start. I don't remember if they started together in Iron Man or yeah they had already started yeah. on Iron Man together. Yeah, it's yeah. like one hundred and two issue one hundred and two I think. Later than that, that was still I when mean, um, Tusk and Matlow were writing. Layton's probably only maybe sixty. You know, so I mean he he. When this came out, it would have put him at you know in his in his mid twenties, you know. Yeah. So, like I said, I think it's pretty early in his career, probably. Bob Layton was born in nineteen fifty three, which would put him at sixty one, or sixty two if his birthday has passed. It has not. There we go. No, but this first issue came out two days after my thirteenth birthday. Piker. <laughs> I had already been. I was already a published author of Hulk letters by then. Yeah, this was um, oh. this was actually uh, around the same time as Michelini had just taken over the uh, uh, Iron Man. So they were working together on Iron Man when they did this. Right. Nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. Well, later. Is that, that seventy nine or is that seventy seven? I'm sorry. Seventy nine. Seventy nine, dude. Yep, seventy nine. Okay, yeah. <laughs> wonder where this falls. I'm going to have to look this up now. I'm wondering where this falls in uh, in relation to when Byrne did... Did he do the interiors or just the cover? Of what? That one issue of, um, of Iron Man. It's like one... Like 118 or something like that. 119, he did the interiors on, and then there was an earlier one, like 109, that he did the cover on. The one that he, where, he, where it shows him being thrown out of the airplane Yeah, is, is mm. the one where he did the interior cover. Which one is that, 19? 119, I believe. And, and where does, I wonder where that falls in relation to this. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right, 118. That's correct. 118. Uh, 118 is... That's... Uh, Looks like January of 1979. So that would be right around the same time. Yeah, this is covered in April of 79. And yeah, it, it, this hit the stands in January of, of 79. Yeah, this is when so. when Byrne was just starting to rise to uh, to prominence. Yeah, well, at this point, he was already on X Men. Yeah, same month right. he did what X Men well, 120 and Avengers 182. Right. Yeah. And Marvel two and one, the number 50. Yeah. The Thing issue. Yep. He was so well on his way by this real point. Busy. Yeah. He was putting out a lot of stuff. Let's see. All right. Will someone want to bring us in? or? Yeah, I guess that's my job because my friends never want to. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. I've been up since uh, 4 a.m. I'm, I'm a little oh. punchy. That's true. I, I'm all rested. I didn't get up until 530. <laughs> Hey, everybody, and welcome to the great Ant-Man Back to the Bins crossover. I am Paul Spataro, and I am joined by my two ever-faithful Back to the Bin comrades, Scott H. Gardner uh-huh. and Dr. Bill Robinson. 
I thought this was the Jurassic World crossover. Yeah, you just you just keep on looking pretty, Bill. <laughs> and for our shameless obligatory coattail riding Ant Man episode, we've decided to do something special and bring in our buddies from the Third Degree Burn podcast, Mr. Tim Elliott. Hello. Stan. Stan. And, and Brian Hughes, who is not going hello, to. Hello, hello. <laughs> He's on a tape delay. So we're, we're, doing, we're doing a crossover episode today with Third Degree Burn. We are going to cover the two-part Marvel premiere introduction of the Scott Lang rendition, version of Ant-Man. And we are going to cover the first issue of it here on Back to the Bins today. And we are going to cover the second on Third Degree Burn. You'll have to look for that one. So, uh, but this is our traditional shameless coattail riding obligatory blah, 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 Ant-Man episode. And no blah, blah, that? blah. <laughs> That's because the Ant-Man <laughs> movie is opening on July 17th, I believe. And what are, what are our expectations for the Ant-Man movie? And Bill, if you say pain, I'm going to come over and break your arm. I said it. Oh, I said it. Not, cut me off. I already said it. I beat you to it. That's not <laughs> an expectation. That's a prediction. Yeah, you would have said it anyway if I hadn't said no, it. No, no. My expectation is I don't have any expectations. I'm, I'm going to go in and just watch the movie. I don't, uh, I'm not going to, I'm just going to, just going to enjoy Ant-Man on the screen. And know that he won't be smacking any women, hopefully, because it's not Hank Pym. Now, I expect my, I do expect my, my Michael Douglas better smack somebody. Right. That's my so, expectations. So Bill, Bill is obviously setting his his sights really high. What are you thinking, Scott? Um, I, I mean, I'm expecting to just go and just have a blast. I'm really, really looking forward to this one. Uh, I'm hoping it's very much in the spirit of Guardians, and it kind of looks like it is. So uh, I, I, I just I think it looks like a hell of a lot of fun, um, and you know the special effects look really good and everything. Uh, you know, I, I just I, I'm kind of hoping that they once again they're able to do very much what they did with Guardians, which is take something that's a, a lesser known. Marvel property, maybe even in this case, something that people are like, wow, really, Ant-Man? And be able to really do something, you know, wonderful and awesome with it. So, you know, but as far as, like, actual, like, expectations as far as story or anything like that, uh, I I don't really have any. I I would love to see this maybe somehow, and this would be a real miracle, but somehow put a capper on the whole uh hank pym wife beater thing because i'm i'm so <laughs> tired of him having that that horrible stigma you know because if, if you go back and you know ignoring what happened in the in the ultimates universe you know if you look at the actual 616 history that that thing is so overblown by this point it you know it was just you know a, a, an offhand thing in one uh, Jim Shooter issue, really, so far as I can recall, anyway. So I, I kind of it it bothers me that that's become like his defining characteristic. You know, it's so sad. You know, that it, it just undid all of his heroics over the years. You know, wasn't wasn't there something that somebody posted recently, and it was either either Reed Richards doing it to Sue Storm or it was Hank Pym doing it to Jan. Like, in order to keep her safe, he didn't want her going on the mission, and he like knocked her out. 
<laughs> and it was, you know, like like a Silver Age story. And I can't remember where it was, but somebody posted something about didn't, it. Didn't Reed slap Sue during the whole uh, Psycho Man or Psycho Pirate storyline that Byrne did when he yeah, was I, basically trying to get her out, out of her whole hate thing? Now that you say that, that yeah. When that she was malice. rings a bell, yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the defense is she had it coming. <laughs> right. Well, there's also but, a story. At, uh, sorry. Well, no, I'm just saying, you um, know, that, that given the movies that have come out recently, I mean, within the last several years, we've seen Hawkeye trying to beat up on the Black Widow. Well, okay, so he's possessed, or, or the glow stick of Loki was on him. And Superman trying to beat up Feora. You know, he didn't pull any punches there. Again, that's DC. But, you know, still, there, there's already, you know, guys hitting women. And it's, you know, like Booster Gold said, you know, equality of the sexes is a given, so you can hit anyone now. There you go. You know what there Sean you Connery says? Sometimes nothing else, nothing else works. Sometimes you gotta hit him. And that's <laughs> ah, Sean Connery's quote. So that's not me. <laughs> There's some similar in Spider-Man uh, during the Clone I, Saga. I met, I, now that I've met your wife, she would kick your ass. <laughs> oh, that's oh, right. And in Spider-Man Three, <laughs> absolutely. Peter, in Spider-Man Three, Peter Parker hitting Mary Jane. Yeah, but in the, in a, the Clone Saga, the the books, he shoves her, and that was a big. Uh, Stink over the some of the Spider-Man fans that oh now he's he's hit Mary Jane. It's like no, he shoved her out of the way. He didn't hit her. Uh, yeah. Now we're talking now, semantics. Going back, going back to True. the movie. All I though, know is one sandwich uh, would did, have solved the whole read, situation. Yeah. Now I, I did read within the last two days that uh, Janet is it Van Dyne or Van Dan? I've never never known. I, I believe it's Van Dyne. Van Dyne. Van yeah, Dan. Janet's actually making making an appearance in the in the movie. Yes. Yeah, so we will uh, be able to see well, the original. That's from Lost. Evangeline Lilly. Yeah. No, that's the daughter. Oh. That's her daughter. Oh. So that's. Yeah, oh that's yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. The and girl so in the, in the trailer kind of... that that teaches him how to punch—that's Evangeline Lilly. Yeah. yeah. Wow, yeah, I lost. totally didn't even recognize her. But that's uh, Van, cast, Van Dan Dyne's daughter. They've cast a yeah, they've cast a nobody for uh, for Janet or nobody. We they haven't announced who it is, but they've already filmed the scene, which is uh, part of some hmm. sort of form of flashback. But you will get to see Janet. Now, they didn't say that she'd be the Wasp, but we will get to see her. And we're going to have Yellow Jacket as the villain. Yeah. But he's Cross, the guy that, that, that's the villain in this book. Oh, that's oh, interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Oh. And, and I believe we're going to have an egghead, are we not? Excellent. <laughs> not portrayed by Vincent Price. Damn it. <laughs> Nobody else can do that. that. Gosh. But, you know, I'm I'm hoping, and I don't know if they can do it seamlessly, but if they can, I think I would really like it if they have something where Hank Pym was Ant-Man at one time. Maybe his adventures weren't really publicized or something so that you can get away with it. But I would like it if Hank Pym was still the original Ant-Man. I don't know if I anybody else I, really even cares about I, it. I, think, I do. I'd love that. Yeah, I me think, too. Well, with what you said that there's a flashback scene, I wonder if we'll see Douglas in the Ant-Man outfit and something happens to Janet and smacks that's he smacks her. She falls to a vat of chemicals and disappears. And, uh, you know, that's why he gives up the Ant-Man mantle. He comes back. She comes back as the wasp and, and just henpecks as the joker. Stink, stink, well, stink the shit out of him. You know, Haley Atwell is, is in the movie also as Peggy Carter. So I'm sure she's probably part of the flashback scene. That would make sense. And so yeah. he, he could be, you know, Hank Pym as a shield agent that develops this, uh, process and the pim particles i don't know there's a lot of stuff they can do uh but i i, I definitely isn't would it, love to see the history isn't uh 
oh shit, what's his name? Um, oh no, I think I'm wrong. I, I was gonna say, isn't Dominic what? What's his face that played Howard Stark in this? But I think it's actually the other guy that played yeah, John like, Slattery. Yeah, Madman. Yeah, Walt it's, it's uh, Disney Walt Disney version of of Howard Stark. Isn't yeah, yeah. I, that yeah, I'm really because I think that... anything that that continues to build on on what was set up with Iron Man two is is all right by me. So that well, this you know you talk about expectations that I'm actually looking forward to. I'd, I'd completely forgotten that until you mentioned Haley Atwell. Well, this this movie is supposed to be the capstone or the the final Phase two movie, right? It's Phase Phase three. Uh, Are we in Phase three? No, I um, thought this was supposed to be the last phase two, which because yeah. there's a lot of people that were like, eh, why is Ant-Man the last phase two? Like they thought Age of Ultron. Yeah, no, I but think I, you're right. I think this is considered part of the same phase. I'm kind of wondering if it will be somehow retconned or something that he's actually in the Avengers assemble scene at the end of Age of Ultron. We just didn't see him because he's ant-sized. That would be cool. cool. <laughs> yeah, see, I think that'd be really neat because I kind of expect him to be in the next Avengers, even though you know we we you know we think we didn't see him in there. But again, I mean, he could easily be in that scene. He's just you know he's not visible to our eye. I, I think that'd be really cool. That that I'd kind of like to see. Although at the same rate, I don't necessarily need all these things to be connected. Um, but in this particular case, I'd actually like it to be connected. And and if you could, if you can connect it seamlessly, if you don't, if it doesn't have to be where you, you're, in, you're yeah. searching your memory banks to figure out how the heck they go together, you know right. that's that's the way to do it. And and I, I would really like to see that. I think, I think they, you hit it on the head with the uh, you know that that the vibe is at least that we're getting at this point is similar to Guardians. Uh, you right. know, I don't know if Paul Rudd can handle the action hero part. We're going to find out, but he can certainly handle the comedy aspect of it the same way Chris Pratt does. Right. But I'm not feeling quite the pop that, or the the like undercurrent excitement that Guardians seem to have from the commercials. I, I or at least, I mean, I'm not saying I I, I don't want to see see the movie, but it seemed like it, like like a lot of people were really excited and ready for Guardians and. I don't. I don't feel that excitement for Ant Man, and I don't. I don't know I about that. I, I, don't I don't know. For there being a real groundswell of buzz on the opening of Guardians, I think that that came after the opening. It was all word of mouth, I think. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think this is going to do kind of like Iron Man. Everybody's going to walk into it not knowing what to expect, and then getting really pleasantly surprised with it. Yeah, we yeah. we went to see we went to see Guardians. I think the second day it was out, we walked up to a theater. We walked right in. It was no problem. We saw Avengers on the opening Friday, and I had to buy the tickets in advance, and I, it was at the second theater I went to. Even buying them in advance, the first theater was sold out. I think the Avengers has that buzz. I don't think Guardians did. I think Ant-Man's going to be similar to Guardians. There's going to be, be people who are taking a wait-and-see attitude, but if you get that word of mouth, it'll pick up real fast. Right. I, I, that's what I expect. You know, I, I think it's not the... You know, it's not the given that certain properties are. People, you know, the, the people in in the non-geek world don't really know Ant-Man to speak of. So, you know, they, they, they're going to need some positive buzz before they're going to go for it, even even with all the goodwill that Marvel has developed. Yeah, because everybody knew about Rocket Raccoon before that movie, right? Well, that's <laughs> right. what I'm saying. There was no yeah. buzz. Yeah, it's, same point. Mm. It's, it's a, it's a, no, it's a good point. So. Well, I think they promoted it pretty well. They've been some really ingenious ways for them to promote it with the posters and such. 
And it's it's hard for me to 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 say because with Guardians, you know, in this area anyway, you know, they had the special sneak peek that was I want to say it was probably I don't know 10 15 minutes long. It was essentially it was the entire opener of the movie where Star-Lord, you know, has the little run-in on Morag and all that right up to the point where uh, the Milano gets hit by that geyser. I mean, that was the whole, you know, that entire scene, however long that runs, plus a few clips after that. So, I mean, there was a lot of buzz in this area because of that. They didn't do that this time with Ant-Man. Ant-Man is actually playing in previews out in Disneyland. I'm not sure where. Uh, but in Disneyland, and I was really hoping they were going to do it out here again this year, but uh, but you know, but they didn't do it with that one for whatever reason. I suspect because they um, they would run up against the thing with Universal because I know Ant Man does have a presence over at uh, uh, Islands of Adventure, so I, I'm guessing that's why. So it's it's hard to tell, you know, is is the buzz the same and all that? Is there all that excitement? But I mean, I know that people I know that are in the know, you know, that are established comic book nerds and everything, or just, you know, Marvel comics, uh, you know, Marvel movie uh, enthusiasts, whether they're really into the comics or not. I know they're all looking forward to it, you know, because everybody keeps coming up and asking me, you know, what do you think about Ant-Man? I'm like, I'm, I'm jazzed, you know, I'm giving it. So it's funny because when it first was announced, I mean, it's not like I was a doubter or a hater or anything, because I think by now, you know, as Paul said, you know, there's been so much goodwill generated with all the movies that they've done at this point. I don't care what. I mean, if they said tomorrow they announced there's going to be an NFL Super Pro movie, I'd be like, hell yeah, give it to me. Because <laughs> I, I just, you know, I, I have not disliked anything that they have produced as far as the actual MCU. Now, you know, of course, I, there's projects I like better than others, but there's not one of them I'm like, eh, I didn't like that. I mean, I've I've liked them all to varying degrees. So, yeah, just keep giving me more of that. But what's really cool, too, is that much like, say, I don't know, like, say, Star Trek, for example, each one has its own different flavor. So yeah, that, again, is another expectation of this is I, I don't want it to be exactly Guardian's formula. It's just of the movies that exist right now that seems like it's the closest one to what this one feels like it's going to be but i hope at the same rate that it also has its own identity that it it gives us i would love to go into this movie and find out that i'm I'm going to it thinking that it's going to be like a like a superhero see i don't even know what the hell you would describe guardians as a superhero rom-com i guess something like that but superhero fantasy. But I, I think, yeah, I think yeah, you're going to see comedy. That yeah, Guardians had a little bit more space opera to it than you're going to see. Right. Yeah. You know, in Ant Man, it's going to be a little bit more of a smaller scale. Uh, you know, I, I'm loath to say street level because we are talking superpowers and special effects. Right. But it's going to be closer to street level than Guardians. But see, Daredevil's already got the the street level thing nailed down. So oh, and it's not going to be anything like Daredevil. Don't get me wrong. Right. No. 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 But what I'm what I'm trying to say is is I would love to go into this movie thinking it's going to be like this and then all of a sudden realize, oh my God, once again, they have nailed a another genre. Because that's the cool thing that I'm noticing with all of these MCU movies is that, okay, granted, they're all superheroes. So it's basically you're grafting different genres on top of the existing superhero uh, model. So like with Cap for, you know, Cap 2, for example, Winter Soldier, you had the, um, 
you know, super superhero at its base, but then it's like spy thriller. It felt more like with, a Bond film. Yeah, and then with Guardians, it was you know superheroes at its base, but then you had very much a comedy slash Star Wars with um, trying to think of other examples with you know with the original Captain America, you know, at its base superheroes, but then vintage war picture. You know, and that sort of thing. And each one that that's what's been really cool about it is each one is is kind of tackling a, a, a different film genre and, and tacking it onto the the base of being a superhero movie. I would love to see Ant Man continue that. I'm not sure which what they could be doing. I mean, because it obviously looks more comedy than anything else, but. Like I say, I, I would just I would love to go into this movie thinking that I know what it's going to be, and then it completely impresses me by once again taking an established genre or maybe a mix of genres and does something completely original again. Because I, I just think that's so cool that Marvel keeps doing that, that they keep inventing a new like subgenre of superhero movies that didn't necessarily exist before they started doing this. And I, I, that's just plain cool to me because uh, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. I just, you know, so long as they're able to do that, I think that punches big fat holes in the argument that we're going to get burned out on superhero movies because you know, we, we haven't got gotten burned out on movies and there's a billion of them because they're all different genres. They have all different feels. And so I think you could potentially do that with superheroes so long as it's not the same thing over and over again. And, you know, I know that there's critics out there saying that it's just the same thing over and over again, but I think those people that are saying that are being very narrow-minded because it's not like it was a few years ago where every single superhero movie came that came out essentially was the same formula. You had, you know, guy discovers his powers, you know, decides to become a hero. He has this girlfriend and at the end of it, he ends up fighting basically his opposite number. And that was the formula for superhero movies for, you know, decades. And then all of a sudden Marvel starts doing their thing. And at first it kind of started out that way, you know, Iron Man fights Iron Monger and you know hulk fights abomination but now we've started to get some variety it's it's not that cookie cutter template anymore it's become an entirely different thing and that's what has me really excited i think the secret to that is scott is they are is they're hiring of these different directors they are not hiring mm -hmm. they're hiring these um not necessarily get people who are used to you working with big budgets they had their own vision so all the marvel movies complement each other but they don't necessarily fit into the same mold. So they can right. exist in the cohesive universe, but unlike what seems like DC plans to do, they want all of their movies to have the same feel, tone, and look, while mm -hmm. Marvel is letting these directors a little bit of freedom to, well, show us what you your idea is. If we like it, you run with it. Right. And, I, and see, I think that's genius because then it's harder to dismiss them. Because when you have a series of movies, it is so much easier to just, you know, if you don't like property X, whatever it is, say, I'm trying to think of a really good example, like say Harry Potter, for example, Harry Potter is just not my thing. And part of the problem is, to me anyway, all the movies feel exactly the same, you know, but with something that really did make an effort to kind of diversify itself that even though it all happens in the same world in the same universe 
that each movie feels very different from the one that both preceded it and succeeds it. Like, say, the original theatrical Star Trek movies. You know, just say just the Kirk era movies alone, those six movies, none of them feel like each other. They're all very different and very unique in in the way that they feel. And I think that the Marvel movies are doing a really great job of kind of doing the same thing, that each one feels very different from all the other ones. Even the two Avengers movies feel very different from each other. And I think that's really cool. I think that's really smart. Uh, I think it's a... a a great way to go instead of kind of putting all your eggs in one basket you can let these guys go off and kind of make their own uh their own vision of a mm-hmm. film and you're not gonna and so far they haven't misstepped absolutely yeah and i i think the uh they, they must have a real you know they must be putting a real effort towards quality control on these scripts because they've been routinely really, really strong, despite the fact that they've been going into different genres and different ways of looking at these movies. I know the Pixar method is that they stop periodically as the, as they're in different stages of production, and then they'll have they'll roundtable what they've done so far to see if anybody has ways to improve it. And uh, I mean, I know there's <clears throat> there's dangers there with too many cooks, but it seems to have worked great for uh, Pixar. Right. So, and I and I know Disney had adopted a similar, uh, you know, plan of attack, and I wonder now if Marvel Studios isn't doing the same thing. But even Pixar has had a few missteps. I mean, look at Cars Two and the Planes I, movie, and I haven't seen those, so I can't really comment on the quality. But what I've heard is they were not commercial successes, but they were not bad movies. Right. So they're not they're not bad, but but when Pixar comes out and sets the bar so high. You know, anything that's just under that seems like, well, you made a mistake, even though it, it's, as you say, it's not a bad film at all. Now, I, I, I mean, I of the Pixar movies that I've seen, and I have not seen Planes or Cars 2, but of I think I've seen just about every other one. And I would say Cars was my least favorite, and I still thought it was a good movie. Right. So, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if, if that's the formula, and even, even if those two weren't all that great, uh, yeah, it's still not so bad. <laughs> and if they go with that formula, again, you just got to watch, you know, whose whose opinions you're listening to, and and really, you know, really, really, just be careful with it. But on the other hand, this way, you're not letting one person run run wild with their vision of what should be done, and potentially having them go astray with nobody to to reel them back in. And is that what happened yeah. with Edgar Wright? On, on, uh, on oh, on Iron Man, uh, on, on Iron Man, Man three. No, Ant-Man. Oh, on Ant-Man. That's right. Yeah, he originally went on Ant-Man. I do think he wanted more creative freedom than they were giving him. I think that was the problem. Because as I understand, he did not want it tied into all the the Marvel Universe like everything else was. And I believe that's what what ultimately, you know, got him off the project is that they said it absolutely had to be. Well, it it doesn't have to. I mean, uh, I mean, he still could have. Well, I I guess... it would be more tied in, and like Guardians will be. Although Guardians, we could see where it'll be tied in later, more so than right now. But yeah, see, tied into Guardians, see. Yeah. Well, they don't have to be unless they plan on making Ant Man and Avenger. They don't have to be like bolted to each other. They can have a loose connectivity. Like it could have been doing... just as well connected as Daredevil. Exactly. You know? Just a few yeah, words, just dialogue. a few references. I mean, probably the big connection that, from what we seem to speculate is that there'll be just some um, Hank Pym ties to Shield and to Stark. See, I wanted in Age of Ultron when 
Stark and uh, Banner are talking about creating Ultron. I wanted just a little throwaway dialogue there of, uh, this well, was Pym, by Hank Pym, Pym. Yeah, yeah, Pym tried this and it didn't work. What makes you think you can do it? That's all you needed just to kind of tie it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will profess that uh, that is, uh, I mean, I, I have precious few, uh, I don't even know what you would say, nitpicks, I guess, because I have no problems or no issues with uh, Age of Ultron. But I had a couple of nitpicks, and that would be the biggest one, was I really felt it was a mistake for them to have Ultron, at least seemingly. Now, we may learn differently in the actual Ant-Man movie, but seemingly it was Tony and Bruce that came up with Ultron just completely on their own. And I thought that was kind of a mistake. Well, maybe you know, just historically speaking. Maybe we'll see that maybe um, Hank Pym helped Stark design Jarvis. Uh, yeah, I was kind of thinking that, too. Yeah, there's yeah, there's got to be some reason why they're tying it to his father. Tony's father, I mean. Yeah. True. Well, they made they made the origin of Ultron, you know, going back before the movie. The, the things that Stark had said was ambiguous enough that there could have been others involved easily. Right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. But we'll now, wait and see. Did you guys see this uh, this picture I, I put there? I did. That's that's from the Ropers TV show, and that's he's actually holding that issue issue of Marvel Premiere, and, and they've changed the name on it to Shark Man instead of Ant Man. I didn't see. Where, where is this at? I don't see it on I, Facebook. I put it, I put oh, it in, the in, in, yeah in the conversation. Yeah, the chat that we had. Oh, going on Facebook. On. Okay. Yeah, and it's Jeffrey Tambor, and he's looking at that that issue. And if I remember right, the little boy on the show had uh, had been reading that comic book sitting on the curb, the same one, and they just used it in in both shots. Oh, that's cool. But they put Shark Man on there to avoid any copyright infringement. <laughs> sure enough, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> wow, Jeffrey Timber didn't have hair back then either. No. He was born with it. Yeah. He's like Patrick Stewart. Bald. All the time. The hair stops here. And, also, <laughs> and he Michael started... J. Fox going, Jesus, didn't that guy ever have hair? <laughs> I, I started think he's almost... losing my hair when I was 20, 23. And my acne didn't stop until I was about 25, so I never had one good year. (laughs) (laughs) All right, good night, everybody. (laughs) I can't go on after that. All right. That, if you will, with your perfect (laughs) Joseph Stalin hair. We might as well dive into our issue now, unless anybody else has anything, uh, any other thoughts about the movie. No, I think it just just looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. That's all I hope for. I agree, and I agree. Yes. So our, our issue for tonight is Marvel premiere number 47, which is cover dated April of 1979. The story is written by David Michelini. Now, there is a, it, the art is by John Byrne and Bob Layton. Uh, it's just listed in the book as art by them. On Mike's Amazing World, it has John Byrne doing the art and Bob Layton inking. But on uh, Comic Book Database, it has both of them doing the penciling and then latent inking. So I don't know. I don't know if the penciling is all burn or if it's a combo. But anyway, in, in either case, it's inked by Leighton, colored by Bob Sharon, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, and edited by Roger Stern. The cover is by Bob Leighton, and it shows Ant-Man riding an ant under a microscope with the question, which should clue people in right off the bat, is this the real Ant-Man or an imposter? So, just to keep people That's from getting That's a beautiful it, cover. It really is. It's, but we'll discuss that more in a moment. Story is titled To Steal an Ant-Man. 
The story opens in the middle of our action, where in an operating theater, where a man is fighting three, where Ant-Man is fighting three costumed guards. There's a patient on the table, and the doctor is calling for them to stop. Ant-Man is thinking about how if the patient lives, his daughter will die. And as they battle, Ant-Man shrinks to avoid a deadly blow. A bunch of ants come in, and one of the guards uses a fancy schmancy water gun to disable them. But a plexiglass shield drops into place from Ant-Man's helmet to let him breathe. And at that, Ant-Man starts to think back as to how he got into this situation. This Ant-Man is Scott Lang, and this is his first appearance. He's being released from prison after serving time for burglary. He's been a model prisoner, and the warden has set him up with an interview at Stark International. When he walks out of the prison, we meet his nine-year-old daughter Cassie for the first time. She's been staying with Scott's sister. We don't know where her mother is. She's probably out whoring around, I'm thinking. Anyway, we then have a quick montage of Scott at work impressing Tony Stark and having fun with Cassie until Cassie grabs her chest while playing baseball and collapses. It seems Elizabeth, that it's a big one. <laughs> it seems that she's had a uh, secondary private life where she was a munitions manufacturer and she was caught in an explosion and has a piece of shrapnel that's moving closer and closer to her heart. If she doesn't have this iron suit, she'll die. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oops, sorry. Sorry, wrong story. Anyway, a doctor tells Scott that she has a condition with her heart that is inoperable. After a while, Scott learns that that's not true and that Dr. Erica Sondheim is, of course, the only doctor in the whole world who can perform the necessary operation. But he isn't able to meet with her and is strong-armed away. Scott traces the car that her muscle was using to Cross Technology Enterprises, and he uses his burglary skills to check out their plant. While sneaking around, he finds Hank Pym's Ant-Man equipment, how it got there I do not know, and lifts it and starts to use it. He shrinks down and encounters some ants and learns how to communicate with them. He uses the helmet to do that, and he breaks into the factory again, takes out a security guard, and heads for the operating room. He battles some guards until he confronts Dr. Sondheim. So this is kind of where we came in. As he speaks to her, he's confronted in turn by Darren Cross, a huge, articulate, pink, speedo-wearing dude who is getting off of the operating table. Next issue, The Price of a Heart. I'll, I'll go first on the overall issue. I thought it was good. I thought the artwork was really good. But I thought the story could have been just a little bit better. I wasn't overly impressed by the way it was written. It seemed to be a little cliche-ridden to me. Uh, but uh, Sorry? I was just agreeing with you there. There was a lot of, a lot of common tropes and, and origins thrown in. Yeah, especially when she turned into Iron Man. Oh, no, wait. That was, yes. that, that was just my imagination. Forget that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there was, there's a lot of stuff with the burglary and, the, you know, the only one, op- one doctor in the world can perform this operation. You know, a lot of stuff like that. It just, you know, it's tried and true things. I, I like to see them every once in a while turn those tropes on their ear a little, and he didn't do any of that. It is hitting all the standard superhero uh, beats. So, you know, I mean, but it was good. And before we start going through the issue in detail, uh, why doesn't everybody give their take on it? Yeah, okay, well, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, I, you know, when I found this, I guess, about four years ago and uh, was, you know, of course, I was just digging for anything burned. And so when I found this, it was uh, quite, a, quite a get because the artwork is so, so beautiful in there. I love the, uh, the burn troopers that are in there. 
as we're finding a common thing is there seem to be burn troopers and everything because he always makes the the bad guys look really really cool in their outfits even if they're just jumpers and onesies mm. I, I'd agree with that yeah and they work for GTE oh wait no CTE <laughs> and they have names it's the first time I've ever seen hoods you know uh, henchmen have names or Mike Ernie Rich. And I think uh, hey Rich look Val. there's ants all <laughs> over the place <laughs> Next, anyone? Boy, everybody's uh, so shy tonight. Uh, well, no, I, we got, I was this. This is the well. This is the first time that I had actually read this. I'd never read this before until this. This was brought up for the show. So, uh, I'm just going back and looking through it while while we're talking. And I think, um, yeah, it is a little confusing why he breaks into. I don't think he breaks into cross tech tech enterprises. He's because it says. That he was casing this place earlier, I noticed a lot of extremely sophisticated detection devices, which means they must have something valuable. So I think he's breaking in there to maybe pawn to get stuff to break into the other place, which is why, you know, because I, I, I don't think, or at least that's what I got out of it. Yeah, he seems to want to, he needs to, he says he needs money to hire muscle to force his way in. So oh, he can okay, so that's doctor. why he's breaking in here, because it looks pretty well protected, so they must have something valuable. So yeah, so he's not breaking into... CTE yet. That's why he's breaking into Hank Pym's house. And of course, we could see uh, CTE is the main reason we have global warming now. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. The My God. Smoke coming out of the factory. Black smoke out, out of like seven smokestacks. <laughs> My God, you're a tech, you know, what are you guys burning coal to make those little things? My God. No, I'm not a. Uh... I, I'm not a big connoisseur of the artistic process, but what I want to know is, is this the use, uh, you know, the, the different things, the sh shading in the background, is that just a, a, a huge use of Zipatone? Yeah, or something, a lot of you know, it is, yeah. Something that, <clears throat> and the textures that they throw in there, because you see a lot of that in, in both these issues, and I, I was just like, that's, you know, just, uh, it's definitely like a, a trademark in this, and we see it a lot like of the a lot dots, of latent stuff. Like the dots on the helmet? Yeah, like yeah. yeah, but like the scene where where he does the the first shrink down around the ants, you know, there's there's some some odd gray and black mm. shading, and then the the background just before he he releases the the gas or pin particles, there's that kind of uh, gridded background, and 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 you see that, uh, you know, I, was, I noticed that in the Iron Man books that that he did a lot of that around that period as well, mm -hmm. and I think it's something he he picked up on rather around that time. I thought maybe there was a Bob Layton thing. Yeah. See, I, I think it's kind of ingenious. He did use this quite a lot on Iron Man because it was trying to make metal look like metal. Right. And I always saw this as a way of him showing you that something was both metallic and shiny and reflective because you have to remember both you know the quality of the paper that they had to work with during this time but also the color palettes that they have were very limited as well so uh, that that's why to me something like you know i'm i'm looking at the page you were talking about where uh scott shrinks for the first time and i'm just so impressed by panels 2 and 3 on that page because this is uh you know, I'm, I'm presuming that a lot of the effect uh, that we're seeing in both of those panels is really Layton's inking at work, plus the colorist, of course. Um, but I, I just think it's ingenious that, you know, within the limitations that they had at the time, he still manages to make this look really impressive 
and it's it's a, a special effect of sorts, and I, I think it looks really cool. Uh, I, that was yeah. one of my first notes that I love the zipatone in this um, issue mm-hmm. because you really can't create a true gradient with the, t- uh, the techniques they had back when they were uh, without digital coloring like he had now. So right, he's even have it. If you look on page sixteen, he even has it on the uh, the abdomen of the ant. Yeah, when he's flying down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my question is, oh, sorry. My question oh. is, who 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 decides that? Is that the inker's decision to use Zipatone, or is that something the artist might put in? Or, as far as I know, uh, the most common users of the Zipatone were Bob Layton and Terry Austin that I ever saw. And I remember reading interviews with Austin, uh, and and basically it was totally his call. So since this is also with Byrne, I'm assuming that when Layton inked this thing, it was totally up to him if he wanted to use it. Yeah, I mean, Byrne got into using it later, and then he got into Duo Shade and some other things. I don't know what he's using now, but uh, he he does make he does make use of something along those lines uh, he's a lot using more Flamedi. than he did in his. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now he is. Photoshop. Did did any of you notice that that Scott Lang looks like Robert Redford in Three Days of the Condor? Hmm. If I you look at the, the when when they when they have the the first couple panels after when it, when he's doing his flashback it uh that's that's what i thought of you know seeing especially seeing him in his suit and everything it made me think of uh 3 days of the condor i can see yeah, that that's that's a pretty good call i think i think that he could have been a uh a model for him yeah and that's that's the other thing as far as models go when you finally get to see the full full shape across you know, there was no model that he had for that, no photo referencing, no pre-existing character that he was able to pull from. So you see, you know, an, an, an ad lib on Burns' part of how this guy is going to look, which makes him look very, you know, as, as a lot of Burns' characters do when he does that, a very organic uh, change there around the face, almost uh, Cro-Magnon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got, I got a lot of notes on how... Well, also, well, we won't until we get to the next issue, but the way he's, he looks almost distorted, the way he's yeah. kind of grown beyond his skeletal structure, because sometimes you see his fingernails, it looks like he's grown past his fingernails, because they're tiny. It's Bar- yeah, he's Barry Bonds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a human growth hormone's just gone nutso. <laughs> and, you know, they, they always said Bird had a way of foretelling the future. You know, he he foretold the the New York blackout, uh, foretold the the death of Princess Diana. Uh, you know, so so yeah. Um, when he was doing Wonder Woman, he there was a in one one issue the the you know there was a huge newspaper headline: Princess Diana dies, and that issue came out like one month or two months before Princess Diana actually died. So you saying Byrne killed Diana? And yeah. then, you know, they, they had that, that uh, blackout in New York uh, a month or two after Byrne had done an, uh, some comic book. I, I think it was the X-Men where there was a blackout in New York. And uh, a month later, there was a, there was a blackout. Oh, no, it was Fantastic Four. But, uh, yeah, like one month, one th- one month in advance. And, there, and, and so there's always been this talk, you know, is he foretelling the future? And God, I hope not. <laughs> but this right, here's a, this right here is a good example, though. I'd like to ask everybody on page seven first middle panel where he's got his daughter on his shoulder when you read this did you understood what toe-headed meant the, the term uh, toe-headed i still don't understand what the no. hell toe-headed meant i gotta be honest with you i've heard the term many times but i really don't understand it well from my, my understanding it's something with very blonde hair hmm. 
But that's just I, thought, not... I thought it was something far more derogatory than that. Oh, no. But <laughs> no. my understanding is guys... out. Go ahead. No, it's just somebody would. Because I had very blonde hair when I was born. And I was called toe-headed. toe-headed so I think that, I'm pretty sure that's what that means. I thought it meant that trailer hitch that was sticking out of your forehead. That's what I thought <laughs> they were talking about. Hey, toe-head, come like over here. Move the boat. <laughs> good, good. If you guys well, this... look in uh... the... The, the Skype chat that we have going on, uh, I shared a, a link here, and I apologize to the listeners. There's way too many uh, numbers to share this thing here. But if you do a Google search for Marvel Premiere 47 original art, you should be able to stumble across this in, in a uh, Google image search. But what this is is a, a website where I found page 16, the, the page we were talking about, before and i don't know maybe you guys can blow this up bigger than i'm looking at it right now but i'm looking at this and i see you know it, it's basically the you can see the zipatone or yeah you can the see lines. the zipatone but is this well, i guess this would be the inked artwork so this is penciled and inked yeah you know what i was actually looking for i'm trying to find pencil because i i want to know where where did the zipatone come into this process is it is it in the pencils no, I'm, I'm trying to sure find. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. But you know, to answer that question of you know wh- whose call is it? I, m- you know, this is completely speculation of me having no real artistic insight whatsoever to you know the p- whole process. But my guess would be that that is totally the inker's call. Um, I'm pretty sure know, it is. where it gets used yeah. and how much gets used and all that sort of thing. Now, if, if some, somebody with, with Burns' clout, even back then, he, I think he had enough that if he didn't like the way the inker was, you know, zipatoning his picture, he could probably step in and say, you know, stop doing that. But I, I, don't, th- I don't think he ever made the... I, I, I don't, I don't know about that. Sorry, what were you saying? I don't know about that. I, I was going to save this for, for a little bit later, but I, I stumbled across something. Now, granted, I take everything I see on the Internet with a grain of salt and Wikipedia doubly so, but I found something just while I was Googling John Byrne, Bob Layton, because I was curious what else they had done. I just couldn't remember if they had done other projects together, and I came across this quote supposedly from Byrne. This is, this, the source here is cited as a Comics Journal number 57 interview, and this is, is Burn. Oh, I think another one you're talking about. Where he, yeah, this yeah. is Burn talking about Leighton, and I was really shocked here. Um, yeah. Burn says he says it's kind of difficult to put into words why I don't like Bob Leighton's inking. He says this is uh, going to sound really silly, but I actually feel physically ill when I look at Bob's stuff. I really do. It's like everything is greasy and slimy. You know those things you can you can buy that hang from your rearview mirror that are made out of rubber and you touch them and they feel greasy. That's how Bob's stuff looks to me. And then he goes on with a bunch of other weird stuff. Oh, that's pretty nice. I'm shocked by, by this because wow. damn, Bob Layton, in my opinion, is one of the classic inkers. And this feeling he's talking yeah, about, but- I know exactly what he means because when I look at Alfredo Alcala, that's what I see is greasy and slimy, but not Bob Layton. I think Bob Layton has a very clean style, so it really shocks me. And I, I think was Miss Burns. Yeah, what I think is happening. Right. What I think is happening is when when he's sitting there looking at what Bob Layton does. I mean, it's not just to his art, but to anybody's art. Bob Layton has a way of bringing that that art as close to the Marvel House style as he can. Because if you look at the the run, whether it was Byrne or Romita Jr. or any of the other guys that came on there, even Mark Bright, 
when they came on Iron Man, he had a way of making it all really kind of come together. So it's almost a cohesive, you know, group of stories that all look the same. He gave them all the same look. And Byrne did not like when his work got changed too much. Right. I understand that, but I don't see the art in this. And and this is meant as a compliment, but I don't see this as looking a lot different than when Terry Austin inked him. And Terry Austin is one of the premier inkers and you know yeah. ever. Right. Yeah. But I don't see no, this I, as looking dramatically different from his work on the X Men with Austin. I think and, it and supposedly he loved very Austin. Well. well, what surprises me is that by the time of this, granted, from what I'm, I'm I mean, I'm just doing a, a super fast search here, but what I'm seeing here is that. This is hardly the first thing they've done together. By this point, they had done, I'm going to say, at least a half a dozen projects together because they worked on several issues of Champions together, which I feel like an idiot. I completely forgot about Champions. I knew Leighton had worked on that. So they had done Champions together. And the thing that further on in that quote that I just read, the thing that Burns specifically pointed to was Incredible Hulk Annual Number Seven, which was the That's Hulk Angel and, and Angel, and yeah. That's that. And, I thought the artwork and that was beautiful too. Yeah, I know. I, I feel the same way. He says. Uh, he says here. He says even the Hulk. He says I will never forgive him for what he did to the Hulk's face in the annual we did together. Uh, a lot of other stuff I liked, but the Hulk's face, the Angel's face, the Angel. God, I remember my father looking at the stats of the inks uh, of the finished inks. And there's a shot of the angel standing there with his hands on his hips saying hello to somebody. And my father said, well, this guy's queer. And he just goes on. And I'm like, wow, really? You know, okay. You know, I've heard of Byrne, you know, you know, being acerbic and stuff like that. But this is just, this is really harsh, especially about a fellow creator, but also a, a highly regarded creator. I could see if he, this was him ripping on. Uh, you know, Vinnie Coletta or something, but damn, Bob Layton, you know, I, I don't know anybody that doesn't like Bob Layton. So I'm, I'm really yeah, surprised to I see, you know, this, this opinion from Byrne. Well, from what I understand, you know, they, they actually had roots that went back even further than Marvel. I mean, they started off with Charlton together with, you know, I think right. with Roger Stern. So that, that there may have been some collaboration there as well. But yeah, I know what you're talking right. about on that issue of the Hulk. Because to, to me, the Sentinels didn't look the Sentinel didn't look right in the Hulk, as compared to the the stuff that Byrne had done later. And I guess part of that was the coloring on that. Mm. But I, I think we'll be covering that issue uh, along with some other Hulk stuff uh, down the road. I'm I'm kind of thrown off by that because I really like that <laughs> that annual. I thought it looked yeah, good. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I haven't looked at it in a long time, but I, I remember really liking that. Yeah, I'm trying to find the uh, the picture that he's talking about with the angel, just to kind of just the to take a look page. at it because I'm curious. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the original art without. Yeah, the I'm colors trying to find that myself. Which always makes for fascinating. Is he ta- talking about the opening one where Angel's kind of like laying watching TV and he's got like a medallion around his neck? And he's uh, he kind of like, like stands up and. Kind of oh, presents okay. himself to somebody. I don't even remember exactly the circumstances, but there's a there's a scene, you know, like where he like walks up to somebody basically, and he's supposed to look kind of imposing. Oh, where he's standing there with a the towel. Hi, I'm Warren Worthington. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's that's got it. got the towel around his shoulders, it? and he's not wearing a shirt. And hmm. I don't know. Anyway, anybody got any specifics about this issue? Any specific notes? 
Um, I've got some. Well, I want to throw this out. Did anybody pick up on the uh, Avengers nod with the name of the ants? I didn't. He calls one of them Emma, and he calls the other one Steed. <laughs> oh. Did not catch that. <laughs> that's that's oh, cool. Man. I didn't catch that at all. I'm just I'm very pissed at Burn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is you know this is one of those things I was trying to say uh, in in our show is that I I kind of don't want to know how the sausage is made. Yeah, there and, are times you know, when you don't. There there yep. were times when I really wanted to know that, and I, I'd even written into a couple shows about you know this thing and that thing and Claremont and Burn and whatnot, and and you know I think Michael Bailey had said you know. Know, that you know, I really don't want to know about that stuff. And I sat there and started thinking about it. And I've, I've carried that through to the comic books and, as well as movies and TV shows. I don't want to know anything about what anybody's doing outside of the of their job. I just want them to do their job and do it, you know, do it, do it to the best of their ability. And I don't want to hear about them on the news or on the internet as, as all that goes. And, you know, cause I don't want to hear, you know, this person's a sexist or this person's that I just wanted to do their job. And by by doing that, I think, you know, just by closing my eyes to that, I, I can appreciate his work a whole lot better without getting ticked off at the guy for being acerbic. But, hey, that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I tend to agree with you. You know, you, you want to think guys who you, you know, who, who you look up to for their talent. You want you want to believe that somewhere inside they're good people that are, are worthy of you looking up to them. And then when you when you hear things about them, you know, just kind of being, you know, acting like an ass sometimes, it it, it takes the, the 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 gloss off of things a little, and and, and it's bothersome. Yeah. It's it's a little disheartening when you meet someone or you hear about someone you, that you respect and you hear that they're not the nicest person in the world, and it, it's you get a little crestfallen. I hope you're happy, yeah, but, Scott. You but, just you just killed their podcast. Brought, brought the brought the podcast down. <laughs> Oh, I, I certainly time. did not mean to. I, I think you would be hard-pressed to find anybody that, that has a higher opinion of John Byrne than I do. Uh, you know, I, I think the guy's a god. But, you know, sometimes he, he you know, I, I think one of the reasons I really like John Byrne is I find him much like myself. I think sometimes his uh, his mouth slips out of gear before his brain can catch it, and he say, he says exactly what's on his mind. And, you know, in the world we live in today... People don't like that. You know, they don't like people nope. that speak their mind and, and give their honest opinion. Everything has to be, you know, approved by the thought and speech police. And, you know, that's one of the things I like about him. He's a crotchety old bastard. And sometimes he just, you know, he shoots straight from the hip. But there's something I find extremely refreshing about that. It's just in this particular instance, I'm shocked by his opinion. But, you know, it is his opinion. I just... In this instance, the the thing that I guess bothers me the most is, you know, that's fine. He doesn't like Bob Layton. That, that you know, perfectly fine. That's his opinion. But I think to be, you know, to publicly say this in a comics trade magazine about a fellow creator, especially a highly respected and and beloved creator, that's, you know, it's crossing I, the line. It is. I, I it's it's extremely unprofessional for one thing. You know. He could have just gotten away with saying, you know, I don't think our our respective styles mesh well together or something like that. Right. Good enough. Right. He, he didn't have to be, you know, he didn't have to make it an attack on the guy's work, which is what he well, did. Hey, everybody, even God makes mistakes. I mean, look at the platypus. Is it a duck? Is it a beaver? <laughs> 
Yeah, Who knows? That's, that's right on point there, Bill. <laughs> that's why I'm here. <laughs> Bringing us back yeah. to focus. It's insight but, like you, that you know, that keeps people coming back week after week. Uh, you know, the thing is with Byrne, though, I think part of the reason why he has drawn the ire so much is that when you go back 35 years ago is when he left the X-Men, and a lot of people at that point in time just decided the guy's a jerk. And there's been legend and rumor about him doing all these things. Not necessarily all that's true. Yeah, the guy said a lot of things that's, that's, that's you know, torqued people the wrong way. But he hasn't been at all these conventions doing all these things that people have been saying. And, I, I, I you know, it's like, do you, do you want to buy into all that? And, and the other thing is, is that have any of us actually met Bob Layton? Yes. I mean, I, I, I have him myself. So I, I, have no, yeah. I have no idea what kind of person he is in, in person. But it sounds like him, he's he a nice person based nicest on what you're saying. Guy. Yeah. That's no, great. He is the nicest That's great. guy. And I know that uh, Dave McElhaney comes across also as a, as a great guy as well. Hell of a nice guy, yeah. I mean, of of the of the creators that I've had the honor of meeting face to face, I can think of few of them that gave me more time and just individual personal attention and made me feel like, you know, for that moment he was undistracted and and I was the most important person he was speaking to all day than than Bob Layton. I mean, he just. He was just a hell of a nice guy. And I walked up to him. I'm very cognizant of the fact that these guys are probably sick to death of the humpers that walk up and drop, you know, a stack of 5,000 X-Men books and be like, can you sign all of these for me, please? I'm sure they hate that shit. So I was very aware of that. And when I went up to him, I had picked out a few, you know, beloved classics out of my collection. And I just asked him, you know, pick, pick one, you know, and he's, you know, Oh, I don't mind. And he sat there and he signed them all. And I just think that's really awesome. And, you know, he talked about every single one and we had an actual conversation and yeah, he was, he's a heck of a nice guy. And so again, it's, but you know, like I said before, I take everything on the internet and, and especially Wikipedia with a grain of salt. So who knows, you know, about the veracity of this uh, of this whole thing? I, I I certainly didn't mean to steer us in a in a negative way with uh, with bringing that up. I just found it interesting. Yeah. Now I, I got to say, the one creator that that I met over the years that uh, was very very nice and and just uh, I had a very nice long conversation with them was Peter David. And this is back when he was doing the Hulk. And uh, during our conversation, we were talking about John Byrne, and he handed me Xerox copies of Byrne's West Coast Avengers before mm-hmm. it had actually come out. And I just remember looking at that and just pouring over the pages, and they're gorgeous, of course. And I remember asking him, you know, I, I just said, please promise me that uh, uh, Al Milgram won't be working on the, the West Coast Avengers anymore because I just can't stand his work on that. And uh, I was a young guy. I didn't know what I was saying. I mean, I, I didn't I'm, I've never been a fan of his work, but I, I just didn't know I shouldn't really voice it like that. And uh, Peter got real quiet. and He goes, no, nah, he, he, he's not working on it. And, and we went on for a little bit more as I was looking over the artwork and the guy sitting next to him gets up and walks off. And Peter David goes, um, that that was Al, by the way. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I know that was a big uh, misdirection here, but uh, I thought you guys would appreciate that story. <laughs> And there's a burn link in it. But Bro. hey, uh, you know, <laughs> moving on, on, though. 
you know, one thing I, I was going to say was the one thing that I really like about this uh, was the very last page was a, was a two-page spread, which is something that back then you really didn't see a whole lot of. The It, it may have been like a, a single-page thing, but this this is a two-page spread, and, and uh, it was pretty nice. I don't Did really anybody know else that would have oh. a two-page spread at the end of a book either. Yeah. yeah. It's not, not something that's common. It would usually be just one page, but not two pages. Yeah, Did anybody else – did anybody else think of Schwarzenegger and Commando when you see Cross and his little black speedo? <laughs> That's the first thing that came into my mind. Jenny. <laughs> oh man. All right, I think I think it's probably a good point to rate this book and bring this episode to a close. And get ready to cross over with Third Degree Burn. Sounds good. Sounds good. Who wants to go first? Well, I did the synopsis, so I guess that puts it on me. And I think the cover is a classic. I think it's beautiful. And if I understood correctly, the cover is just Bob Layton on his own. Uh, and I'm yes. I'm saying solid A on the cover. And despite John Byrne's criticism, I thought Layton's inking complemented his work very well. I thought his use of zipper tone in this particular book was well well placed. I, I thought every all the details looked good as far as I could tell. Uh, I'm giving the interior art an A as well. Uh, the story, as I said, I thought was a little too cliche-ridden, uh, but it does pack a decent amount of story into a short amount of space. So I'm going to say a B minus on the story. Overall, give the book a B plus. Next, I'll go. I'm, I'm complete. Yeah, I'm completely on board with Paul. There, I, I agree with every one of those. Uh, with every one of those grades, I, I might even take the story to a C just because of the. The, the Iron Man connection there with the heart, the, uh, the you know, the, the, the things that we find it's, it makes the story just a little too, I don't know if, it, if, you, if, if it's redundant in the, the superhero origins. I might give that a C, but everything else I agree on, A on the cover and A on the art. All right. Well, uh, I will give, I'll give the cover A minus. I like it. I think it's very dynamic. I think it is iconic, but can't quite give it an A. I might go between A and A minus, but I originally wrote down an A minus, so I'm gonna stick with that. I am giving the art an A. I think the art is fantastic. Um, it tells the story very well. It's, it's typical great burn artwork. I think Bob Layton does compliment his style. Very clean, very crisp, very sharp. The story I will give a B. It's not quite uh, A level. It's it is a little cliche. It's it hits all. It hits all the standard superhero beats that it needs to, to for a up and coming superhero and origin story. But uh, so I think I would give my B plus my overall grade. Um, I think I'm going to be kind of along the lines with Tim that that and well, pretty much everybody that the cover is. Uh, I mean, it is an A cover. I'm I, I'm I'm going to give the I'm going to give the cover an A and the the interior art as well is also a plus um one thing about the story yeah the story gets knocked down a little bit to like a b minus c plus you know because one of the things that kind of buzzed me bugged me is that he was getting salary advances from stark it, i mean uh, i guess he can't i mean he's having some interaction with tony stark 
but maybe not enough that he could say, hey, can you help me with these bills? I'm really in a bind because he eventually turns back to crime and you just kind of, you know, of course, that's what leads him to becoming Ant-Man. Which, but, but still, you think he could have been like, hey, you know, can you know, you, can you, you know, help start American down on his luck? Exactly. Exactly. So I, I'm going to give the story a C plus and, and the book overall would be uh, a high, a high B plus. Is that everybody? Does that leave me? Yeah, I didn't think you gave one yet. Yep, as like Scott. Um, I I love this issue. I love this two parter, but I particularly love the the opener. I love this uh, this first issue a lot. The cover, however, um, I guess I'm going to be the Debbie Downer on this one. I'm I'm just not terribly enamored of the cover. I like it in the way that it's that it's set up the idea of, of someone looking at Ant-Man, you know, under the magnifying glass and all that. It's just the way it's, it's finished up. And, you know, I just noticed this for the very first time that somebody's aiming gun. a gun barrel at the magnify. I don't think I've ever noticed that before. That's actually really cool, but it's, there's just something, I, I think what it is is the ants look funny to me. The ants look like, like they're in a larval stage and uh, and like they're more like termites or something because they're just too big for ants. I think they need to be a lot smaller than what they are and the perspective's a little bit wonky, but uh, I mean, not a bad cover. And it, and it's weird because it is a very iconic cover. So it's, it's funny to have a criticism of something I, I simultaneously consider to be iconic. I, I guess the grade I would give it on, on this is be, I don't know, B, maybe B plus, because I, I think there's a lot of room for improvement on it. And I'm noticing the only signature that on it is on it is Layton. So I wonder if he did the cover all by himself. And maybe if yeah. it had been Byrne and him, maybe it would shore it up a little bit more or something. Plus, I noticed that the logo at the top for Ant-Man, I don't think that's Byrne or Layton. That looks like that's pulled out of a of an old Avengers comic or something. And it looks almost Kirby, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And I don't know if this is before Byrne was doing just about all of the character logos up there or not. I I think this is well after, if I'm not mistaken, because I think he was doing it for Avengers by this point. But I'm kind of surprised they don't have, you know, the redesigned Ant-Man up there because this is clearly the, the, the Pym uh, version of him up there. Anyway, moving on to the, the interior of the book, um, Love the art on this. While there is room for improvement and clearly Burns art style would refine and and would change over time, I give this a straight up A plus because for one, come on, John Byrne and Bob Layton. I mean, I love these guys. So, you know, two of my absolute favorite comic book artists. But also, this is what I call Hungry Burn. And Hungry Burn is my favorite, you know, where he's still relatively speaking he's still kind of fresh to the game he's he's uh you know just kind of starting out at the beginning of his career and when i look at the uh the cross guy the what is it cte guys they really remind me of characters that burn was doing in charlton comics like say doomsday plus one or space 1999 or something i don't know why they remind me of that so much but they really really do there's there's has to be characters or villains or something in one of those old charlton's that that i'm that it's nagging my memory of of that stuff but i'm very fond of of burn stuff uh with charlton 
even some of the wackier stuff that he did. So I, I love these uh, these security guard guys. They just take me back to that very early burn stuff, and uh, and I love the inking and also straight up A plus on that. And uh, I would say uh, I'd say a straight up um, maybe not an A plus, but I'll say a straight up A on the story because. In certain aspects, it's somewhat formulaic, but I think Michelini does some things that had never necessarily been done before with a with a superhero's origin. I think the whole daughter thing, uh, if if I'm remembering correctly, that that's kind of unique, isn't it? You know, to to you know for a superhero to have a child and it's the child that's in danger is kind of the the motivating factor for him doing what he's doing and all that. And he's you mean like Sandman? Yeah, kinda. <laughs> but Sci- Sandman was not a not a good guy, though, right? He, he in the beginning, no, yeah. not the beginning, definitely not. Yeah. Um, what else? Oh, in, in in a weird kind of way, he's. I was gonna say anti-hero. That's not even really right. It's it's like he he's not terribly heroic starting out. You know, he's he's doing it for his own benefit, and he's you know using his thievery skills and all that but he becomes a hero you know as as we'll see as this goes along um i just think it's kind of a unique take on thing yeah yeah yeah. he's got i I think there were some yeah some novel things that were going on here and uh you know also reinventing an established hero i mean ant-man had been uh you know in, in a prior incarnation with with Hank Pym had been one of the founding members of the Avengers, so clearly this character's been around, but I never really dug that particular version. This version I like a lot, and I, there's, I, I can't put my finger on it other than, you know, the the changes to the, the person wearing the costume. You know, he, he's not just, you know, a, a hero to be a hero. He's not entirely altruistic. He has his own motivations that kind of force him into the hero role. And I, I think that's interesting. It's a, it's a different way to, to spin the whole thing. That's, that's pretty much yeah, all I got. Yeah. All right. So that's our take Tell us on... what you really think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> before, we, before we close this up, I just wanted to bring back some a note I'd had. Page two, it's that center uh, left panel when he's getting kicked. And he says, don't let the fancy uh, red and blues fool you jerks. I may be one of the good guys, but I don't pull my punches. Do you think that's a Spider-Man reference or is it just because he's in costume? Mm, hmm. I didn't see that as a Spider-Man thing. I, I didn't know if it was. I just I, that kind of popped in my head. So I don't know. I was kind of wanted to get a group opinion on that. I think that's I think that's a prison thing. I mean, because he spent time <laughs> in prison, prison and watching out around the showers. You know, guys, don't let the don't let the underwear fool you. Because <laughs> it's polka dotted. Uh, I'll, I'll just have to defer to you. Okay, I guess that's. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll. I'll take your word for that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anything else before we close this one out? Yeah, there's uh, one no, thing I wanted I to say about uh, the cover. What about it? No, there, there's one thing. There, there's one thing I wanted to say about the cover. You know, because the, the talk you guys had on it, the thing I do remember is just a couple of years ago when I actually came across it. I was at a comic book shop going to the long boxes, and I just pulled that up and said, wow, that's a really cool cover. I didn't even know this was a burn book. And the cover made me stop and pick it up, and I picked up the one after it because there was only, basically it was, you know, two stories, and it wasn't that expensive. But, yeah, the cover is what made me pick it up, not that it was burned. So, you know, for that, that alone, I kind of have to give it an A. All right, yeah, I 
wouldn't argue with you there. But then I gave it an A anyway, so of course I wouldn't argue with you. <laughs> so okay, I think we're we're ready to close this one out because we still have to do part two of this crossover. So uh, want to thank I want to thank Tim and Brian for coming on with us. And, it was our, absolutely our pleasure. And looking forward to oh, coming yeah. on to your show now. And everybody who yeah. liked this, I hope you liked it. And if so, and you know, seek out Third Degree Burn to hear the second part. Yeah, give Woo-hoo. us a try. Woohoo! Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks podcast group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of DiManzocor of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Take a moment to stop by and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Now I'll show you what I already know. As one tiny spark becomes a night of blazing suspense. There is fire, there is smoke. Thank you. Flame on. Hey, Johnny. I didn't know you could ignite parts of your body. Now, to do the job, I need some high octane gasoline. Burn, baby, burn! Ray Shields. Fire! What would you like to do in the whole world? Burn it all. Your world will burn. Come on, let's burn them all. Go! Go! Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Third Degree Burn, a podcast looking at all things John Byrne. Available at tutufreaks.com. What a hothead. I, I don't know. That's going to see. That's the... You know, this is always the every two every two two months I go into uh, deep evil hibernation because of work. <laughs>